This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, if you are familiar at all with Mile High Sports, uh, you know this man. This man is Cody Rourke. Cody Rourke NFL is the Twitter handle, R-O-A-R-K. Uh, you caught him after this show, of course, on Afternoon Drive. Uh, puts together all of the uh, the top content videos, uh, podcasts. Join me on the Broncos Blitz the last couple weeks uh, as well. Cody, thanks for, for joining us. First time we've actually been able to have you on uh, as a guest, as it turns out. But the next step for the Broncos now, uh, training camp. And there have been... Uh, concerns about some injuries in, in the uh, the offseason. Of course, we know Baron Browning will start on the pup list. Uh, they're, they're hoping that Javante Williams will be back. Tim Patrick expected to be back. So there's good news and there's bad news. But uh, I guess starting right there for injuries, can you give us a, a bit of an overview? Because obviously some of the drafted rookies also had issues in OTAs. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, for the most part, Denver has come out of their offseason program in relatively good shape. You know, there are a couple of guys with some soft tissue stuff that, you know, they were dealing with their mandatory mini camp. But I think right now the expectation is that everybody will be at training camp. I mean, m- minus Baron Browning at this point, who, as you just mentioned, will start the season on the PUP list. He had a surgery on a partially torn meniscus and. I think they just want to be smart with bringing him back. You know, sometimes you and I have discussed this off-air. Meniscus recoveries can vary. They used to be four to six weeks, but now we're starting to see four to six weeks is the initial period of, you know, hey, you have surgery and you recover a little bit, but, you know, there's an additional timeline to being able to come back to do explosive movements the way that Barron, you know, that's how he plays his game. So Denver's keeping an eye on his timeline. Uh, You mentioned a couple of rookies. Uh, Marvin Mims, Drew Sanders, two guys that didn't do much during OTAs, didn't do much during mandatory minicamp as they were dealing with some, uh, you know, some injuries here and there. We we don't know exactly what they are. We can only speculate. But uh, Sean Payton did say that he is pleased with where they're at mentally and doesn't think it's going to be an issue and that they're healing quickly. So uh, all signs point to a very, you know, healthy start to training camp, and hopefully they can maintain that. When people start a statement, with, I'm going to be honest, uh, get ready for the pablum in most cases. Uh, Garrett Bowles said uh, during the mini camp recently, I'm going to be honest, this is the closest group I've been around talking about the offensive line. And he added just because everyone is a dog and everyone's hungry, everyone wants to win. The O-line sets the tone. And when we set the tone, the rest of the team will follow. Uh, do you believe, first of all, that uh, he is uh, speaking from a position that's worth paying attention to? And second of all, do you agree with his declaration that as the offensive line goes so goes the team yeah those are uh some very interesting comments that garrett made yeah, i mean that was a fiery press conference from him all together you know i think for garrett i, I like garrett's energy his enthusiasm but we've also heard this from garrett we have heard this past. before yeah. you're right yeah and so you know, while Garrett, you know, maybe has that mindset himself, we have not seen that carry over uh, through the full aspect of the team. Now, I do think that under Sean Payton and his offensive philosophy, they want to run the football. So, you know what that means? They got to be nasty. They got to be physical on the offensive line. 
But you know, I always encourage you know any Broncos fans out there. You know, I think that the moves that they made in the offseason to get McGlinchey and Powers, I think, were good moves. But there's still some questions, right, at center. There's questions whether or not can Lloyd Cushenberry turn it around and really solidify himself as the center this year. Quinn Miners was exciting, but can he stay healthy this year? Uh, and then, you know, you factor in Garrett Bowles. Coming off of a major injury last year, I think the offensive line has all the tools to be physical and, and you know, as we talk about aggressive. But uh, I, I think that the mentality is a, is a whole team thing. It shouldn't be a, an offensive line. If the offensive line is the thing that's trying to jumpstart the team, then I'm a little worried because they were they didn't jumpstart anybody last year. So uh, I, I think that the whole team, the, the, the mentality that they've embraced, I think collectively on the defensive side of the ball, uh, you know, with Sean Payton, I think Sean Payton's mentality that he has helped and still will be helpful. But if it has to start with the offensive line, I am a little worried there. The reasons for optimism, of course, you know, there, there's the additions at the line, and we'll find out because you're right. I think with Garrett Bowles, the enthusiasm is nice, but he kind of says that every year, and there's there's not much you can put into it. Uh, the concern, obviously, then let's just get right into it on the offense, starts with Russell Wilson. And the uh, changes that he's going to have in coaching, you know, Davis Webb uh, essentially made the argument that he retired from the NFL to take over the quarterback coaching job at the age of 28. So he's even uh, younger than Russ, but the change from uh, Nathaniel Hackett now to Sean Payton, Davis Webb, the whole idea is to find a way to jumpstart Russell Wilson. Where does that start when you're looking at when they get to training camp? What changes from this year to last year that would lead you to believe that Russell Wilson is going to have a different season? Well, you know, to be honest with you, I, I think a lot of last year, Sean, what we had witnessed with Russ was something along the lines of backyard football. And that was because I, Russ struggled, I think, trying to embrace Nathaniel Hackett's system. I think Nathaniel Hackett didn't know how to bridge the gap there. You know, I, Hackett can connect really well with Aaron Rodgers, but the reality of the situation is everything that the Broncos worked on in training camp that, you know, you saw while you were there, I saw it every day. They discarded that right around after week four, after Javante's injury. So they were really trying to build around Javante with the outside zone scheme and then open things up with Russell Wilson. But the moment that kind of dissipated a little bit, the offense got worse. I mean, there were some times where it was making some positive trends through the first four weeks. I think, you know, the performance you saw against the Raiders minus that third quarter where they only had 18 total yards of offense, it was a trend upward. But you know, for, for Sean Payton and for Russell Wilson, this is it. This is a big season for Russell Wilson. You know, we talk about pressure being on the Broncos. I think there's pressure on Russell Wilson because of the magnitude of which Denver traded to, to get Russ. You want to compete. You want to win now. And unfortunately, Russ didn't play winning football last year. And, and look, there's a multitude of factors. I think the, the way I see it sometimes, you know, everyone wants to blame just Russ. But I think there's collective blame to go around. There's blame on Hackett. There's blame on Russ. There's blame on injuries. I mean, all these things can be true, but the one thing that will help the Broncos this year is better coaching, which I think on paper right now is Sean Payton. And just from what I've seen, the way the practice is being commanded, I do think the better coaching will, will, not, you know, will not be an issue for Denver this season. Uh, Russ has to play better. He has to go through things. And I think from my observations at OTAs and minicamp, he's been decisive with the football. He's, it doesn't look like the old backyard you know, football that we saw last year. Russ has landmarks he's got to go to, and, and he's trying to get the ball out of his hands quickly. And look, Sean Payton tested him at various points of uh, the offseason program where there were times where they simulated blitz, and they, they put a lot of pressure on Russ to see if he gets rid of the ball, and, and that's one thing you want to see. 
Russ gave up, what was it, he sacked 55 total times. Brett Rippon was sacked, uh, I think, an additional eight times. Well, yeah, the final total was 63. Oh, my goodness, yeah. So you you can't have that happen. You know, parts on the offensive line, parts on Russell Wilson. Part was on him, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Russ has to play better. Plain and simple, Mm -hmm. he has to play better. Here's my issue, Um, and and it isn't simply age-related, but when you have a year like Russell Wilson had last year, I'm not saying he will be as bad or that it's possible to be worse. I don't think it's possible for him to be worse than he was last year. But what I am saying that after a year like that, it's hard to imagine him getting back to those pre-2021 or even 2021 levels, at least not this year. And I base that on on these statistical facts. Last year, more than any other time in his career, I guess save for one year, he threw 80 passes that traveled 20 or more yards in the air. Now, his reputation coming here was that he was still in his 30s, well into his 30s, one of the best deep throwers in the league. Last year, he completed those passes at a rate of 36.3%, the second lowest of his career. His expected points added per drop back were the second worst on those throws in his career, which has lasted now for 11 years. And though the Saints have been and were under Sean Payton, a very good throwing team, mostly due to Drew Brees' presence, From 19 through 21, the Saints were especially good at completion rates between the numbers. Over those three years, they were fifth in football. Even in his best years in Seattle, no one ever said that Russell Wilson was anywhere near being the best quarterback in the league throwing passes between the numbers. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point that you made there, too. I mean, Russ really thrived in Seattle with the deep ball, especially with Tyler Lockett, Doug Baldwin specifically in the early years of Russ's career. And then, you know, when you get a guy like D.K. Metcalf, it certainly helps in that department. I, I will say this, one of the emphasis is, you know, I, I don't even know if that's actually a word here. One of the major emphasis I've seen Sean Payton put on Russell Wilson is attacking that short to intermediate. And, you know, you have to be able to do it in between the numbers. You have to be able to attack different levels of the field because if you were simply just a a deep ball thrower, teams can eliminate some of your best options that make that part of what you do well. You have to be able to in crunch time. I mean, look at what Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City Chiefs do really well. I mean, how many times do they get put in a third and 10 or a third and 15 situation? They convert it, and we're sitting here like, how do you stop it? How How do you do it? It's because they work every realm, every area of the field, and Russ simply has to get back to doing that. Uh, and, and look, that, while that has not been the strength of his career, I think Sean Payton is really emphasizing that, hey, if we want to have success downfield, we're going to do this by building the rushing offense. You're going to have to throw in between the numbers here. And, yeah, we're going to take shots downfield, but Russ has to have the complete package. But he also has to have the complete package around him in terms of system and scheme. And that's not saying that Russ is a scheme player. That's just saying that Russ cannot do it all on his own, as I think sometimes he tries to do. And this is a big year, I think, under Sean Payton for him to really take that next step. And he has to. Like, there's no excuses at this point, and especially for Russell Wilson. 
he's going to have to find a way to, to make this the best off season of his career and carry it over into a regular season because the microscope is getting bigger and bigger and bigger on Russ. And if the Broncos struggle this year, it would not surprise me if they look to move on. And again, I know you're talking about a guy who has been extraordinarily durable, at least during the first decade of his career. But I look at the laundry list of ailments slash injuries he had last year, hamstring, shoulder, groin, knee. Obviously, you have the concussion issue that can afflict anybody, regardless of age. Had some arthroscopic surgery done on his right knee, which apparently had been bothering him for years. Uh, isn't that a little troublesome that he was an Iron Man? Even the, the, the last year in Seattle, he only missed, what, three games? Yeah. Uh, with, with the broken finger. And yet you have this long laundry list of injuries last year that that seem like injuries you get when your body is starting to break down. Yeah, and look, I think for every athlete, they they experience various moments in their career where they have to question the way that they do things. They maybe have to change the way that they do things, and I think for Russ, he tried doing some things different last year, but it didn't benefit him. I don't think he was in a scheme that would allow him to do that, but more importantly, he bulked up last year to maybe try to endure some more contact, which, I mean, you wanted to leave Seattle because you didn't want to Bad have move. all the contact. Bad move. You know? Yeah. So for me, he came back, I think, way too early from the mallet finger. You could tell because he was playing really well before that injury. And then obviously he missed, had surgery, missed some time, came back way too soon and tried to force things. And I don't know if that was due to pressure maybe on, you know, leverage, you know, where he wanted to be and with Geno Smith coming in, stepping in, or maybe not they were going to look at a quarterback of the future. Uh, but, you know, it really accelerated Russ to try to come back too soon. I even felt like last year Russ tried to come back too soon in some instances, specifically the hamstring injury. Uh, it's just hard to imagine that, you know, you can recover that quickly from something like that. I mean, not, anytime you have a partial tear in your hamstring, that's that's tough. And for you as a quarterback to be able to roll out, which is your greatest strength, that's been praised about you your entire career, it limits you. And then if you're not playing at your best level because you're hurt, it doesn't benefit the team. It hurts the team. And I think there were some instances last year where it hurt the team. I understand. I applaud how tough he is, but he doesn't have to prove that to anybody. Unfortunately, you know, at the end of the day, the thing he's going to have to prove is, can he get back to being the guy he was in Seattle? Can he help the Broncos win games in a tough AFC West division? Not only just the division now, but the AFC in general on paper looks like it's gotten tougher across the board and right now, with obviously the Broncos having a some sites the 12th best odds to win the conference, it's not a very good perspective. And I think a lot of last year played into that. But this year has to be the turning point. I don't think Denver can wait to go through another year after this, uh, after this you know upcoming season, if things are not changing. I think they're going to have to figure out their options, and that's why they they went and invested in Jarrett Stidham, who you know has still a lot to prove as well as a young guy. Can he solidify himself? as a true backup quarterback. Uh, but, yeah, Denver's going to ha- probably has their eye on the future a little bit as well. We just probably don't know much of what they're looking for yet. Last one for you. Uh, well, let's switch to the other side of the ball. To finish in the top 10 in sacks last year, you had to get to 45. Uh, the Denver Broncos did not get to 45, uh, obviously. And uh, the pass rush has been something of a concern. The Broncos in the lower half of the league with 36. The projected starting 11 on defense right now, and that includes the addition of Frank Clark, and that includes uh, Zach Allen. Had 18 and a half sacks this year, or last year, the starting 11. 
So where is that pass rush going to come from? Are they counting on a lot of guys to step up and put up big new numbers in their career, aren't they? Yeah. Well, look, you can't just I try to beat this like a dead horse in a sense. But, you know, I think so many people are fixated now these days on just outside linebacker and that your outside linebacker needs to be the only guy that gets pressure, gets sacks. And look, it's hard. And I think there are a lot of teams out there and we've seen it. Obviously TJ Watt is an exception, I think to a lot of this conversation because mm-hmm. he is physically dominant, but you know how hard it is, you know, in modern schemes now that we used to see years back, the four, three was primarily the main defensive scheme that we'd see sure. around the NFL. It's transitioned now to some four, two fives. Now yeah. three, four, <laughs> defense well, being yes. predominant. Yeah. Right. So that adds a little bit more pressure to what you want to do. You need to make sure your outside guys can get to the quarterback, but your outside guys also need to be able to play discipline against the run. So I think it's more important now that, yes, your edge rushers get production at the outside backer position, but your defensive ends need to get pressure. Your defensive tackle needs to get pressure, needs to get sacks. And now we're seeing more teams blitz the nickel a lot more often. So can you get production from the nickel? Can you get uh, you know, production from your inside linebackers in the sack department? I just remember the days of DJ Williams. I remember even a little bit earlier with, you know, Al Wilson. Those guys had, I mean, Al Wilson, I think his career best in a year, I think it was five and a half sacks. Oh, yeah. Inside oh, absolutely. Fantastic. You need that in today's NFL more than ever, especially with how pass-centric it is. But it makes it so much harder because of how pass-centric the offense is and how the rules really favor offenses and try to spread you out. It's really hard to do that. So that's why I think a lot of pressure is really placed upon your outside guys, but Denver needs it from the defensive ends as well. And look, last year, when Bradley Chubb and Draymond Jones, DJ Jones, those guys were healthy at the beginning of the season. They were getting pressures. They were getting after the quarterback. You lose one or two of those guys. Um, Andrew, Gregory, one of them. too. Gregory, yeah, when he was healthy. Gregory was on a tear through the first four weeks yeah. and then got sidelined. But the, the issue is, after all that, you didn't have anybody. After the trade, you couldn't get pressure right. on the quarterback. Right. Draymond got hurt. DJ got hurt. And it was... It was rough, and it put the Broncos' defense in some bad situations. And so Sean Payton, I, this was actually stuff that I was asked of him as well. You, you know, you need to have a scheme that can create pressure, but you also need players who can create pressure themselves without being scheme-dependent. And that's what they've looked for this year. So we'll see if they, they carry it over. But, yeah, you're right. They're going to have to get pressure on quarterbacks at a higher rate. They need to find a way to get into that at least top 15, top 10, hopefully. They have the talent to do it, but can they stay healthy? That's a huge question that we have, unfortunately, gentlemen. Yeah, and we'll have to remember, by the way, we get into that stat. That's the stat. Uh, pressures are more important yes. than sacks, so keep that in mind. We t- Cody and I talked about that, as a matter of fact, on the Broncos Blitz podcast last week. You can get that uh, wherever you get your podcast. We spoke specifically on that detailed as well. But over at Mile High Sports, putting together just about everything for uh, MHS every single day with the Broncos videos, uh, podcasts, stories, uh, all of it. You want to make sure you're following Cody. Cody Rourke, NFL, R-O-A. RK uh, is with spelling there. Cody Rourke, NFL, over at Mylar Sports, uh, our lead Broncos analyst. Appreciate the time, my friend. Thanks, Cody. Absolutely, gentlemen. Have a good one. Good show. All right. Thanks so much, uh, Cody, joining us and bringing up you know some really interesting perspectives there. And, and uh, again, you, you can go back to the Broncos blitz. We talked a little bit more about that pass rush. But I have some reasons for, for optimism. Despite the number I gave you on the Broncos pass rush, we can talk a little bit more about it next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. 
Sandy, I mentioned it before with Cody Rourke joining us from Mile High Sports about the Denver Broncos. 18 and a half sacks last year yeah. for the projected starting 11 of the Denver Broncos, and that includes uh, Frank Clark, who added a lot of that, quite frankly, even though he had a subpar year uh, by, by many of his standards. Mm-hmm. But here's one of the reasons I'm optimistic about that. I, I don't expect Randy Gregory to make it through a season healthy. I don't. But I, I think in Clark's case, when you have a I, – I don't think that he's going to drop off much from last year to this year. I think when you have a one-year deal, this is sort of a uh, – this is one of those inflection points in guys' careers. Frank Clark has been a, a, a good, if not great, player for a, a lengthy amount of time. And on a one-year deal, he is going to be at the stage this year where either he puts up enough numbers to get himself another lucrative multi-year contract or he's a year-to-year guy bouncing around the league. So he has nobody in the, on this team has much more incentive than Frank Clark to go out and have a good year. So the, the contract the Broncos got him on is a good one. Zach Allen is a, a high-motor guy. It's actually a little surprising if you go ahead and watch him play a little bit. And I went back and watched a little bit more as I could after the Broncos got him. A little surprising that his sack totals are actually as low as they are. He seems like he does get a decent amount of pressures. And being young, there's, there's some upside there and comfort in the system that Vance Joseph uh, now runs. So there's reasons for optimism there. It also means adding two guys on either side of DJ Jones allows DJ Jones to be his best self. And no, he's not a sack guy, but the Broncos were expecting him to get more pressure at times than maybe you expect him to do because they were so woefully short on getting pressures. And I think a front three of Clark Jones and Allen is actually a pretty significant upgrade from what they've had in the last couple of seasons. When you look at just overall, all talent and a proven accomplishment. DJ Jones is an is an outstanding football player who had a great career before coming to Denver and was perfectly good in Denver. Uh, Clark has a little bit to prove, but he's still an upgrade from what you had last year in a rotating sort of uh, group of folks they could put on the defensive line. And in Allen's case, you can argue whether Allen or Draymond Jones is going to be better this year, but I would say the difference is not going to be massive. And maybe Allen, I think, has a better chance well, of, of that, getting that's better. that's all Vance Joseph, though. Uh, you don't bring Vance Joseph here and when he says Zach Allen was his best player last year on defense, you ignore that. Right. I mean, why did you hire him then? And I, I'm not suggesting they hired Vance Joseph simply to get Zach Allen. Right, certainly but not. It, but, but certainly one of the reasons I'm guessing that they hired him was because they agreed with his assessment of Zach Allen and they had a chance to make that move, and they made it. And... I'm sure along with their making that move, there were assurances from Vance Joseph that there is still a greater upside to Zach Allen's game than we've seen. There, yeah, I there, think there's so. something better or maybe even the best is yet to come. All right. So you're relying on his judgment. Uh, I, I think when it comes to defensive football, I have no reason to particularly distrust his judgment, but again, as defensive coordinators go, um, Vance obviously has more experience now than he did when he became Bronco head coach. Uh, he had no experience as a head coach and only one year as a defensive coordinator. If you'll recall, mm-hmm. he's got more experience now as a defensive coordinator. Uh, he has obviously earned Peyton's respect. I'm not sure exactly what's behind that, because in their head-to-head meetings, 
Peyton's offense routed Joseph's defense time after time after time, as Vance himself acknowledged last week. Right. But he is here, and I think the expectation is, and I think Vance Joseph is savvy enough to realize the concepts, the design of the defense last year is pretty good. And it was more along the lines of a Vic Fangio defense. Fangio, the man who succeeded Joseph, probably did things a little differently on the defensive side of the ball, but it wasn't a radical departure, I don't think. No. And Ejiro Evero was the Vic Fangio disciple. So I don't think they'll change a lot conceptually, but I think individual performance has to be better. And I did like this quote from Sean Payton, who actually has some pretty insightful things to say when he chooses to share them. Confidence comes from demonstrated ability. And my problem with the Broncos is not that I disagree with Sean Payton. In fact, I agree with him completely. But I have not seen, even on defense, beyond Simmons and Sertan, a lot of demonstrated ability. And I'll I'll throw DJ Jones in there, but DJ Jones plays a position in which your starter at nose tackle plays a third of the time. And your role there isn't to generate pressure. It's to take up spaces, to make things more difficult, primarily in the running game where DJ Jones, but most of the time coming to Denver was an elite run stopper, right? You're watching, you're not playing as a nose tackle. Unless you're a guy who moves around a lot, right? And D.J. Jones is basically a nose tackle. So I, I, I'm still more caught up in what the Broncos would talk about in terms of potential and potential in production, as we've discussed. And I've got to see it. And, and Vic Fangio had the line that I think was actually one of the better observations he made during his time here as Bronco coach. Don't tell me, show me. Mm -hmm. And the Broncos have not shown us. Again, beyond a handful of players on the defensive side of the ball. And I'll give Tim Patrick his due on offense, and I think he's coming back in 2022 from the ACL tear, and he's apparently making a swift recovery, and there aren't any questions about whether he'll be ready for camp or not. There haven't been been setbacks, complications, anything like that. And... I like what Tim Patrick brings, but again, beyond five or six players, demonstrated ability from this group has been hard to find. Garrett Bowles, what what do you make of Garrett Bowles? He made second team all pro in 2020. Weird year, right? right? COVID year, no fans in the stands. Officials clearly getting a mandate from the NFL yeah. not to call holding Holding penalties. went down 44% across the board. Uh, the guy that's going to benefit the most so from that is the make, guy that held the most. What do you make of a man who's been playing for six years and during a season that was uh, at least strange, he made second team all pro and has been unimpressive and unfortunately last year injured the other five years. Yeah, it's... Uh, 
I mean, it's concerning that this Broncos team, you know, you that's ha- not demonstrated. Ability you hate to throw the cold water on it because, you know, here it is June. And as you pointed out, there's not a game for three months. But uh, for Broncos fans, this is this is not a playoff team this year, even if Russell Wilson were to take a massive leap forward and look like he's maybe looked even in his best seasons in Seattle. Uh, it's simply not. They are in a division where the champions reside and run the show. They are with a Chargers team that, for whatever reason, keeps tripping over itself, but certainly has the ability to be in that next group of teams that has a chance to go to the Super Bowl. They have to face those teams four times. Uh, Fortunately, they have to face the Raiders two times. They're not very good. But then again, the Broncos aren't uh, either at this stage. And I think the best you can hope for if you're the Broncos is, is everything goes right. You get nine wins and maybe you're in the mix and maybe you can sneak into wild card perhaps. But that requires everything to go right and no significant injuries. And you have to win every tiebreaker. And yeah, yeah, basically you right. do. And I, I think for Denver right now, for Broncos fans, the best way to look at this situation for for Sean Payton is this is this is a beginning of a reboot with new ownership completely in charge. Uh, and it may very well, as Cody alluded to, uh, this Russell Wilson experiment might be one and done. You know, I mean, uh, after this year, it could be it. It could be two years. It didn't work out. They're going to go somewhere else. I do not think that Sean Payton uh, brought in Jared Stidham as a bluff. I think if at any point Sean Payton thinks this just isn't going to work with me and Russell Wilson, I think he'll play Stidham. I, I think Payton has uh, uh, for the same a reasons, mandate from ownership to do what he well, thinks is best, regardless of listen, what any of the players it's, say. It's the same kind of thinking that went into Josh McDaniel's decision late in the year when the Raiders were out of it to bench Derek Carr and basically give up on Derek Carr and play Jarrett Stidham. And McDaniel's decision, whether you agree or disagree, had something to do with Sean Payton developing an interest in Jarrett Stidham because Sean Payton was obviously just as impressed as Josh McDaniels was by the performance of Jarrett Stidham. And I think McDaniels and the Raiders miscalculated they, I, I think their interest in Stidham as a potential starter down the road was real. They just underestimated the interest of other teams. And with Nathaniel Hackett here, I don't think the Broncos would have had the slightest interest if Hackett were still here and had any influence. I don't think they would have had the slightest interest in Jared Stidham. But it's not Nathaniel Hackett. It's Sean Payton, who has much more influence over major organizational moves than any recent coach the Broncos have had, has been able to exercise. There's there's no doubt about that. Gary Kubiak and John Elway had known each other forever. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of exclude that and go all the way back to John Fox, certainly in his last two years here, his influence had waned. Certainly Vance Joseph, certainly Vic Fangio, who didn't even have much interest in anything other than coaching defense. Even even coaching the whole team oh, yeah. was something he had little, if any, interest in doing. Like the bigger check. But and otherwise, of course, yeah. Nathaniel Hackett only wanted to coach offense. And not very well. And one that. of the things you'll know with, uh, with Sean Payton is uh, he's, well, like, the best coaches are actually capable of checking in with every unit on the team during practices and making sure he's supervising I, I every unit on the team at practices. He's a little more like 
Belichick, if you ask Belichick, and there are other coaches, not just Belichick. He's the example that comes to mind. Belichick could teach any player, any position group. Yes. With, uh, with as much and, and that's, that's skill everything you've heard and about knowledge yep. as as any assistant coach ever. He could. understands I every think position Sean on the field. Payton, again, Bill Parcells hired Sean Payton and Bill Belichick as assistants. Uh, both were with him for quite some time. Uh, Belichick, particularly with the Giants alongside Parcells and and Sean Payton, most of all with Dallas. Um, in fact, I don't think Parcells was long gone from the Giants when Payton was the Giants' offensive coordinator. I think Jim Fossil was the head coach, as a matter of fact. And at one point, stripped Payton of his play calling responsibilities, which looking back on history was an in- interesting move, mainly interesting because it worked. The Giants went on and went to the Super Bowl that year when Peyton had his play calling uh, uh, authority stripped from him. But Peyton's a terrific play caller. And the fact that his offense is ranked in the top five scoring offense uh, in nine of the 15 years he spent coaching the Saints. Of course, he was there for 16 years. There was the 2012 absence due to the uh, year-long suspension Mm -hmm. linked to Bounty Gate. Nine times a top five offense in 15 years, that's pretty good. Yep. And it's a record that no recent Bronco coach has had previously with an offensive team that he coached, at least as an assistant and sometimes as a head coach. Even Gary Kubiak didn't have that kind of offense in Houston. Uh, it, you know, And Peyton had Drew Brees, but Drew Brees also had Sean Peyton. And Drew Brees' career was at a crossroads in 2006 when he hooked up with the Saints. In fact, the reason that Nick Saban today is the longtime head coach at Alabama is because Nick Saban wanted Drew Brees for the Miami Dolphins, and the Dolphins, especially their medical people, said he has a shoulder injury, he's done. He can't play anymore. And so Brees signs with New Orleans, and he and Peyton, as a coach-quarterback tandem, over the last 15, 16 years, uh, prior to last mm-hmm, year, right, about as good as it got. And it's worth noting that Russell Wilson, when he did have his no-trade uh, list, uh, there's a handful of teams that were not on it. One of them, when Sean Payton was coaching, was New Orleans. Obviously, Reese was there. It wasn't likely to happen, but it shows that Russell Wilson was at least uh, open to the idea yeah. of working with, with, with Sean Payton prior however, to earlier in his career. However, remember the words of Joe Lombardi last week at minicamp. He has, talking about Wilson, now a completely new way of doing things. We'll see. We'll see. Because if Russell Wilson thought that he'd be hooked up with Sean Payton and it would be the Russell Wilson greatest hits, uh uh-uh, Joe Lombardi a completely new way of doing things. That isn't just a new way of doing things from last year. That's a new way of doing things over the last 11 years for Russell Wilson. I have my doubts that he will respond. We will find out soon enough, just about six weeks or so until the start of training camp for the Denver Broncos. It will be interesting to see where all of this shakes out, but everything is done. And the next step is you have to wait for them to get back on the Dove Valley field and We'll find out a little bit more about them. But in the meantime, over the weekend, 
one of Colorado's own one big. You might not know him, or at least not have known him, but you will know him. Wyndham Clark, the U.S. Open champion. We'll talk about his big, big win and career-changing victory next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. After the U.S. Open started with Ricky Fowler and Shoffley uh, <laughs> just tearing the course up with an eight under in the first round, the winner at the end of the final round was Colorado's own Wyndham Clark. Clark, uh, born in Colorado, went to Valor Christian High School, two-time Colorado State champion back in 2009 and 2011 also won the Pac-12 championship as part of the Oregon team back in 2017. He had his first career win. He had played in the majors a handful of times. His best finish was 75th at the PGA Championship back in 2021. But he did win a few weeks ago. He did win. Back in early May, he won the Wells Fargo Championship. Beat, and that's a tough And course. beat Shoffley by uh, four strokes. But in this one, he goes and, and plays in the, P, in the, uh, the U.S. Open. And by one stroke, holds off Rory McIlroy to win at minus no. 10, claim his and first U.S. McElroy. championship. Um, I played McIlroy, and I played him particularly around the greens. Yeah, so two, he was two wins in his first ever. And how about this? You, when that happens, uh, you go from a world ranking. Now, all of a sudden, Wyndham Clark ranked today at 13th. 13th in the world. In the yeah. world. Well, that's a, what after, happens when you win a U.S. And, Open. And, yep, you win a U.S. And Open. He won and he won Wells it, Fargo, too. Well, so only he, only uh, six weeks ago. He's... Uh, uh, you know, he's not in the top 10 yet, but he has the kind of game and the kind of story, to be honest. Uh, our friend Terry Fry reported on him uh, a few years back, and uh, we were out at lunch Friday. And I, uh, I was saying, I, I, I'm not sure I'm that familiar with this guy. And Terry's with me. And he said, I wrote about him. Two or three years ago, I know all about him. He went to Valor Christian, went to Oklahoma State. Teammates he transferred to Oregon. Yeah, Oregon. Yep, and, transferred uh, out of Oklahoma A place State. Terry knows very well. And um, his father was a head coach there once upon right. a time. And he Terry was Friday tutored course. by Casey Martin. Remember of Casey course. Martin? And uh, Wyndham Clark talked a lot about Casey Martin. Uh, he had transferred. His mother had passed away at age 55. He was a mess. Uh, psychologically, uh, he wanted to quit golf. He found himself only getting angry when he played golf because he was a perfectionist to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then his mother died, and it, he was having trouble dealing with that. He transfers to Oregon, and under the tutelage of Casey Martin, uh, he, he begins to get his game back. But, uh, again, he's not 21 or 22. He's 29 years 29. old. Yep. He's labored for a while. He has been through the school of hard knocks, as they say. Came up through the uh, the web.com tour yeah. to get his card. Um, uh, by the way, back, uh, pretty, pretty good athletes that year, uh, that graduating uh, class in Valor. One of his uh, graduating classmates with him, Christian McCaffrey. Yes. Same year. And they're good friends. At, yeah, out, out at. Uh, apparently very good friends. And uh, he has the same kind of temperament Christian McCaffrey does. And the thing that his mother told him all the time was go big. Uh, think big, go big, and the the advice he's gotten is be an athlete. And you watched him over the weekend. Boy, is he an athlete! You know, he, 
And he has that power fade that is tailor-made for U.S. Opens. Uh, I give you the name of Jack Nicklaus, who is the greatest fader of the golf ball who ever lived. Ben Hogan was right there with him, and I think Ben Hogan won a few U.S. Opens, too. Paul Ezer made that point over the weekend doing the commentary for NBC that U.S. Opens are not won by people who draw the ball or hook it. They're won by people who fade the ball. Lee Trevino, probably if I were to list the top three faders of the golf ball in the history of golf, Nicholas Hogan and Trevino would be one, two, and three in some order. Right, right. And Trevino beat Nicholas out of a number of U.S. Opens, so you know how good he was, and that's what Wyndham Clark does. He fades the ball, and he was playing with, uh, with and against people over the weekend who tend to go the other way and the fade worked beautifully, especially on that course. And he had a three stroke lead with only about four or five holes to play. And he stumbled a bit on the short par three fifteenth. He bogeyed, followed it up with a bogey at 16, but at 17 and 18, he had tough, tough, places on his third shot to play from and he got pars on on both holes with very very short putts but McElroy didn't make any putts 36 putts in 18 mm-hmm. holes and was outplayed especially around the greens from tee to green McElroy should have won the tournament by five or six strokes but, but hey, he didn't get the putter work the best all-around player all week was Wyndham Clark and and as you point out he, you know he's 29 but at the same time that's that's actually not that odd for the breakthrough to happen at a major for a lot of guys. I mean, it's it's really well, not. Phil Mickelson won a few in his first game at age 34. Right. So, I mean, I think that uh, for Clark, as you point out, his style, his game, and then you get the confidence knowing that, that uh, you know, you, you are not only a winner on tour, but you've won a major. That's a different thing, and you get to have that forever. Uh, I think there's a lot that's, uh, that's coming up here for Clark. Uh, it seems like he's kind of coming into his own at yeah, the age of 29. I, I don't think he's one of those guys, and there have been a few in U.S. Open history who win the U.S. Open, and it's maybe somewhere between fluky and a last yeah. hurrah. I don't know if he's not going to go I in eight, of, nine majors or anything, I, I, I but think I think he's going to be a... Moody in 1969, who was a journeyman player throughout his career, happened to win the U.S. Open. And uh, Ken Venturi, at the very end of his career, injury-plagued career, wins the U.S. Open at Congressional back in 1964 when they played the final rounds on a Saturday, rounds three and four, and there was tremendous heat and humidity in Washington, D.C. I don't know how that could have happened in the month of June. Heat and humidity in Washington, D.C. in June. And he almost physically collapsed on the golf course but kept going. Ray Floyd was playing with him, and he won. But, but that was the last hurrah for Ken Venturi, who never really won anything. After that, it was late in his career. He'd had a ton of injuries. And yet this fellow, I won't say kid because he's 29 years old, he could he could win majors. I think and so. And he, he already won a tour event this year on a tough course. Right. Now, and I'm talking about the Travelers in Hartford, you know, courses where the winning score tends to be 18, 19, 20 under par. Kind of a score that uh, – some of us geniuses thought would win this year's U.S. Open after the first round. You and I caved into that a bit too much, but what are you going to do? But uh, 
Tommy Fleetwood did shoot 63 yesterday, mm-hmm. and he should have shot 62. He missed a gimme on the on the 18th. Uh, that would have given him a 62, and he would have been the third man to shoot 62. So scores, <laughs> the, the, the scores were ridiculously low overall for this tournament, but it held up in the final three rounds so that the winning score was 10 under, uh, which I'm sure doesn't thrill the USGA, but at least it wasn't 15 or 20 under, as, uh, again, some of us yeah, geniuses it had. Yeah, it sure looked it. like it was going to be. But congratulations to Clark, because he strikes me as a guy that uh, – is going to reside in that top 25 potentially He's for a pretty good amount of good time. Good guy, too. Uh, Real good, good guy. guy. You want to know more about him, as a matter of fact, page one interview in this month's Mile oh, High Sports Magazine. Oh, by the way. By the way. So, Mile High Sports Magazine was on top of him, and uh, uh, yeah. Terry Fry uh, wrote about him a few years yeah, this, ago. This so, he's not totally is, uh, unknown. Our what a magazine. week in Denver sports, right? Really? The Nuggets on a Monday win a championship. U.S. Open championship. And the following Sunday, uh, a Denver kid who went to Valor Christian wins the US, the Open. U.S. Open. I mean, a tremendous, tremendous run, and congratulations to him. And, and uh, yeah, you can find out more about him, Miley Sports Magazine on the shelves uh, all over the place. And, you know, as always, it's it, it's free. You can just find it, pick it up. And Wyndham Clark right there on that first one. Uh, uh, we we kind of got on that one. Doug Ottawill and the uh, and the team. I'm one of the senior editors as well, but uh, we're going to give Doug the credit for that. Uh, got ahead and landed because this is uh, these things get produced. In Doug Ottawill the impression about something. Doug's Doug's that, on that is hardly Doug an lands uh, Bruce Brown prior to the NBA championship. Yeah. Grabs Wyndham Clark for just prior <laughs> to the right. U.S. Open. That's uh, right. Romy Bean is featured in there as Denver's now, first it, female it anchor. Is, remember they used to talk about who else wants to win a title because Hop Sports on Illustrated yeah. doesn't publish. We, we got a reverse jinx. Uh, but, but you want to win something? Get on Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated Sports jinx. Oh yeah, this is the reverse. Reverse. Yeah, you want to be a champion. Give us a call right here, mylifesports.com. Pretty easy. That's where you've been, many of you have been watching us as well and listening to the program. Thanks so much for doing that. You can always do that, as I pointed out. You can go to mylifesports.com. You can listen uh, on demand. You can also stream the video as well in studio, and you can do that on the app, uh, too, even easier. You carry it on your pocket, crystal clear, wherever you yeah. want it to be. want to make one quick point. I bet we were talking about Rory McIlroy. Rory McIlroy will win at least another major. He played exceedingly so well. He may win at Liverpool at uh, Hoy Lake next month. Rory, okay. by the way. Uh, it, he played terrific. And we all know, those of us particularly who are hackers, know that uh, if we take 36 putts over 18 holes, that's a good round. Oh, that's yeah. a good putting round. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'm even good enough to call myself a hacker. But give uh, McElroy credit to you for also knowing uh, the, the, the men that he's playing with. Um, uh, Clark was asked specifically, you know, McElroy approached him after immediately after the round and asked what he said. And, and uh, he said that, you know, if your mother was here, she'd be very, very proud of you. So McElroy well, sportsman say. Uh, as and, well. And, and Roy, McElroy, defeat. Uh, Roy McElroy is one of my favorite people in, in, sports, a, in a tournament that he probably to. knows was was his to was his to take and still graceful uh, in defeat as well. So congrats to Wyndham Clark. And wow, that's uh, a tearjerker. Yeah. Wow, what a thing. Yeah. To what say. a tremendous what a thing, to say. thing to say immediately Perfect. after losing a round. Perfect. And as disappointed as he must have been. And he also went on and talked at NBC after he knew he had lost. And, so, and couldn't have been more gracious. A good weekend for golf, a good weekend for golf in Colorado, as Sandy pointed out. Another good week for Colorado sports. Oh, Wyndham yeah. Clark, Colorado's own, claims the golf city of US champions. Open. Seriously, wherever wherever you go. We, we know yeah, champion. The U.S. Uh, Open champ, Stanley Cup champ from last year. And 
Colorado Radio Production Champ Danny Bailey in the booth making everything sound as good as it does. Can't get it done without Danny. And, of course, uh, Sandy Clough on my left, the man that makes all of this work for it as well. But it is your show. Thank you for everyone who contributed, who popped in, who caught it, uh, whether it was on the app, on the website, over the air. We appreciate having you. We're looking forward to being back at it again tomorrow. We are moving on, but the station rolls on. So keep it tuned right here on My Life Sports.